0: Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross here with meteorologist Brandon Orr from WPLG Local 10. And we are recording this podcast at about 1.30 in the afternoon on Thursday as we are watching uh, Hurricane Dorian. Uh, Brandon, uh, today, once again, a whole set of uncertainties have come into this storm. We thought that once it got north of Puerto Rico, it was out in the Atlantic, would it be a more typical kind of hurricane that we would track as it came toward the Southeast. But now this whole slowing down and turning thing really spreads out the, uh, the possibilities.
1: It does, a lot of people were hoping for more answers today, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Uh, because now that it's not actually interacting with land, uh, like Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and over towards the Dominican Republic, you'd think we'd have a better idea, a better handle of where this is going. But still lots of questions from what, the Keys all the way up to Georgia?
0: Yeah, because if it comes close to South Florida, that'll affect all of South Florida, including the Keys, because it'll be a robust circulation. And uh, in the Keys, if you get a strong northwest wind coming off the Gulf, that piles water into Florida Bay and, and you have problems. But the other part to it that this slowdown has indicated. So what's happened is the storm has has, uh, the models say the storm is going to slow down maybe by six hours or a little bit more as it approaches florida that means the steering currents will in theory be less that means the storm will move more slowly and turn more slowly so uh, that opens up a lot of possibilities including the reality that slow storms are more difficult to forecast (laughs)
1: oh by far right. especially in terms of intensity.
0: Right, and also because the steering currents aren't strong. Right? So when the steering currents are weak, the storm can move in a variety of directions with you know undetectably light steering. So, so you have the directional problem but maybe even more than that uh, because we really feel confident it is going to turn north at some point whether it turns north over south Florida or it turns north over central Florida or it turns north before it gets to Florida or just before it gets to Florida, we don't know. But we feel confident it's going to turn north, but it's going to do that slowly. So you get the whole set of things that go with slow storms.
1: Right, and some people are still questioning, can this turn before it makes it to the coast of Florida? Would you say those odds are decreasing?
0: No, I think those odds are in- increasing a little bit, actually. The fact that it slowed down because this is a dance between Dorian to the south and high pressure to the north, right? High pressure is building to the west and so blocking Dorian from turning. But then high pressure is going to slide to the east. So there's an end to that. There's an opening for Dorian to turn north. So if Dorian comes toward Florida more slowly, that gives more time for the high pressure to get out of the way and for it to turn sooner. So the thing is that the odds seem, based on everything we know right now, very low. It would not have a significant impact on the coast. That it would turn soon enough that it would just go out to sea. That doesn't seem to be in the cards, but uh, it does make a big difference if the eye comes directly over the coast versus turning north along the coast. Along the coast, that's Hurricane Matthew-ish sort of thing, which did a lot of damage. And is you know is a very bad scenario, but it's not the same as sort of plowing into the coast or sitting there and piling water against the coast for high tide cycle after high tide
1: cycle. And this slowdown as it gets towards the coast that we're seeing today, this has some big implications on local impacts in terms of rainfall. Rainfall and storm surge. Remember, we were also at an astronomical
0: high tide. It's it's not really the king tides of September and October, but... Uh, The tides are running about a foot to a little more this weekend than they would be in the winter or something like that. So that's added on to the storm surge. And then you have the issue of storm surge is worse in bigger storms and slow-moving storms. So Dorian is going to grow. It's already growing today. It's going through an eyewall replacement cycle, which we can talk about, which is really unusual. Uh, It's going to grow in size. That makes it bigger. Uh, wider, and that scoops more water. Secondly, uh, it uh, just piles more water because it sits there and blows on shore to the right side of where it comes in. And then thirdly, like you said, you have the Hurricane Florence scenario from last year where Florence just crawled over South Carolina and then North Carolina and it dumped all that incredible rain, three feet of rain over North Carolina. So all those things happen with slow-moving storms worse than they do when storms move faster
1: so we're talking about all these different things and uh, people are really taking notice I noticed yesterday afternoon it was all the buzz was Mm -hmm. this storm and I went to Target completely sold out of everything no hurricane supplies left, just the empty crates in the front. I went by to get gas this morning. One of the gas stations down by the station here was completely sold out, and the ones that still had gas had long lines. Do you think that this storm, now that we've been watching it for so long, how do people react differently to that versus a storm that spins up out of nowhere in the Bahamas?
0: Well, I think this storm is somewhere in the middle. So this isn't a Hurricane Irma that was a category five way offshore and everybody was glued to it five days in advance or seven days in advance even with Irma, right? So it wasn't that, but it's also not one that is a little tropical wave uh, sitting out You know, in the Straits of Florida, that suddenly spins up. It's not one of those either. So this is somewhere in the middle. But the fact that this has been a, uh, you know, a tropical storm just became a hurricane, that started getting people jazzed. And then, of course, all the headlines about Category 3 coming to Florida, Category 4 coming to Florida, that gets people geared up. Now, here in South Florida, you know, we got a lot of hurricane-savvy people. So um, it doesn't surprise me at all that people are, are jumping on it um, here. Uh, I also think probably a lot of people are not. They're looking at the cone and saying, oh, it's going to central Florida. I don't have to worry about it. And they're not thinking about uh, Hurricane Irma that really went to Naples but was a nightmare here you know, they're not thinking about what can happen on the edge of a, a big storm. But, but I, I you know, I, I just think that we have a substantial part of this community is pretty hurricane savvy. And, and they've been through the drill of going to the target and not having anything left, right. And going to the gas station and having, and either being out of gas or waiting in line, you know, they've, they've done that. And, uh, you know, in my, my uh, posts uh, today that we put online, you know, I've, I've listed the things that you can do that don't cost you anything, right? right. Uh, getting gas is one of them because you're going to get the gas anyway, right? Being sure you're... And getting cash is, is another one. And uh, putting Ziploc bags of water three quarters filled and stuffing them in your freezer so that you don't have any air left in the freezer, then if the power goes out, your refrigerator will stay cold so much longer because you have all this ice... You know, in the freezer. Besides that, what's the worst that happens? You have water to drink after the storm if you if you need it, right? So there's a list of things on local10.com if you if you look or you sign up for the newsletter that you can uh, get that I suggest you do today uh, while you're thinking about full hurricane preparedness if that's going to become necessary. Like in another another couple are wash your clothes and wash your dishes, yeah. right? Because if you lose power and you have a pile of dirty clothes, that might not be you know, amusing uh, if that were to happen. But nothing else happens. But it certainly could, as we found out in Irma.
1: Right. And if the storm goes north of you then right. and you're fine, then no harm, no foul, right?
0: Right. Although, you know, the way, of course, you know, for us here, the, that European model still really annoys and scares us because it insists on the storm coming close enough to southeast Florida to be a problem. Well, it's been consistent, too. It's been consistent, right, and the GFS kind of goes one place and then the other place, although consistently north, right, consistently to more central and north Florida, where the GFS has been for the last couple of days, I guess, consistently coming toward the northern Bahamas and then south Florida. So so the the Hurricane Center forecast, official forecast, is a bit of a compromise between those two, uh, and, uh, and I think that you know, you can't not look at those dots in the middle of their cone in terms of thinking about the likelihood of it going there, but uh, they hasten to add in their discussion that the European model does bring it uh, farther south, and that is very concerning for, uh, for us here in South Florida.
1: So we're talking now about the differences in a couple mm-hmm. of our models, two of the m- more prominent ones that we look at, the European and the American, and especially down here in South Florida a lot of people pay very close attention to our broadcasts and look at those things very quickly. And what would you tell people in terms of the differences between the two? Because obviously they have landfalls in different locations. The number one question is, which one is better? Right. Well, normally in most measures, the European is
0: better than the GFS. But the way they measure that is, they actually measure hurricanes in general, and and last year they, they it was a mix between the two on which did better. In hurricanes, it's the consensus model or the, the averaging process model, various different kinds of ways of averaging models that ends up with a consensus that is the best, almost always. On predicting where high-pressure systems are going to be or low-pressure systems in the atmosphere, in the middle levels of the atmosphere— the European is the best. But we've all seen situations where the European takes the storm one way and the GFS takes it the other way. Sometimes the GFS ends up being the right way. Sometimes the European ends up being the right way. On average, the European is a little better than the GFS, but it really depends on the time period that we're talking about. In the short term, sometimes the GFS is better. So uh, you know, but but when we see the European model, which which we just believe as being reliable, coming in a threatening way, uh, we uh, you know that concerns us. But we've also seen it do that and then jump on board with a, a different solution uh, later on. So uh, the bottom line is that that based on modern technology, almost every year the the best way to forecast hurricanes with computers is to average the models and do a a weighted average of various kinds where you add a little more of this one, a little less of that one, and you end up with what you find to be uh, the best forecast and there are various mechanisms for doing that. And if you read the National Hurricane Center discussion, that's what they key on they key on this thing called the tvcn and the and the fsu super ensemble and the new uh hurricane forecast system that's experimental and they they key on those as, as what they use to make their forecasts
1: well a consensus forecast almost always wins almost always almost always <laughs> yeah. almost there's always. always the outliers there's always the outliers
0: just one more thing to say about today and then uh we'll wrap it up and then we'll be back uh, later on this afternoon uh the this eyewall replacement cycle this adds another just oddity whether it adds any kind of uh you know wrinkle to the forecasting remains to be seen and probably not but but for a category one hurricane to do an eyewall replacement cycle that's really unusual that's down in the five percent range in terms of of uh, what usually happens. That it's it's strong hurricanes that normally can't maintain that the balance that's required to keep a a category four or five hurricane going and then something gets triggered that makes the eye wall replacement cycle which is where the eye shrinks down very small a new eye wall forms outer eye wall that chokes off the inside one and now you have a bigger hurricane with Winds that aren't any stronger, sometimes even less strong, but then that eye wall shrinks and you get a bigger, stronger hurricane. But the fact that's happening today is really odd, and um, and we're just going to have to see if it has any meaning or not. It may not. It may not in the end because we knew that uh, Dorian was going to grow in size, in diameter, size and strength anyway. So it may just be an, an oddity at this stage. So
1: yeah this explains the hurricane hunters that went through this morning they found some lower pressure but not necessarily significantly higher winds
0: right because it's based on the bigger eye now the storm is generating winds based on the larger eye it's like a figure skater expanding the arms to slow down the spin but as the storm gets bigger that becomes more threatening in and of itself so it's not all about wind it's also about the size Of the storm, so let's wrap it up now, and uh, we'll be back uh, about 6:30 uh, this afternoon with uh, another update. We'll take a look at the five o'clock advisory, and have that for you uh, for this early evening. So until then, for Brandon Orr, I'm Brian Norcross at WPLG Local 10 in Miami, and we'll uh, talk to you later on.